for you with Dream Dogs, and I have a very special guest with me uh, today, and a special topic today. Hello. Hello. So let me see if I can get um, text on the screen. No, they changed this up. I'm still learning how to do this. Um, let me see on here what it shows because I have to pull it up on on Facebook uh, while we're going live here and see because I'd like to have your name up here because I think that's always good. People know who we're talking to. No, yeah. it's not on there. So that's okay. That means I get to introduce you. Uh, so we have our special guest today, guys, and our special topic. Our special guest is Lauren Turner, and she is a fantastic dog trainer. We um, spent spent a long weekend together uh, in North Carolina last month, and uh, and it was great because Lauren kept chiming in about dog foods and kibbles and what's best and what's you know what the dog should be on. So I asked her if she would like to join me. Um, she's on a fellow Florida girl. So Lauren, what's your business and where are you at? Uh, my business is Ideal Dog, and I am up the bend and around the corner of Florida over in Navarre. Um, I always joke that we are lower Alabama. We're not really Florida, so <laughs> we're over there, um, and uh, we get a lot of cooler weather than you guys get. So um, <laughs> I just want to point out I was getting distracted because the chat seems to be working. I see it popping up on the side. So Yay. That's oh, good. good. Hi, friends. <laughs> Fingers crossed it stays that way. Hey, guys. Um, so, yes, so Lauren and um, she, we, we've chatted a bit. Um, she was supposed to be on a couple weeks ago, and she got sick. So she wasn't able to come on without a whole bunch of hacking and coughing. And we didn't think that would be fun for anybody, let alone her. You know, wanted her bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for, for talking to us about supercharging your kibble. So, Lauren, how did you get into kibbles and so, and diet? Um, the I've owned a few dogs in my adult lifetime and my last dog was a pit bull mix. And if anybody with a pit bull knows, they're notorious for having sensitive stomachs and skin issues and ear issues. And um, as I sort of leapt from dog owner to dog trainer into that world, um, that just became a really big piece in sort of um, jumpstarting a dog's training and, and pushing them into that rehab mindset is I really just saw nutrition being that key piece that brought the dogs from like, hey, you're doing good in training, good job, to wow, do you really see this dog, see how they're changing and see how they're they're really making that 180 degree turn that people want to see from their dogs most times. Um, and then truly, <laughs> to be honest, I have a ton of uh, health problems myself as far as autoimmune stuff. And that ties into the coughing. So I want to apologize to people if I do start hacking and coughing. It is actually not left over from the sickness. I just have a chronic cough that never goes away. And it's uh, impacted my life in many ways. But surprisingly, I have learned so much about my health as I research about dog health. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I've gotten a lot of tips and tricks and hacks uh, for myself as well. And truly the line between human and dog, as far as nutrition goes, 98% of the rules apply across the board. So, um, you know, it can help, it can help everybody. This isn't just supercharging kibble, it's getting healthier in general. So, <laughs> yeah. Supercharging kibble? <laughs> exactly, yes, exactly. So, good. 
Yeah, right. That's that's super. Like that, you had the health issues, and I know. No, you. If, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to. But but you have like a very strict diet that you follow in order to feel the best that you can. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what what you as a person eats? Yes. So, um, truly, I sometimes I feel like as I talk about myself, I feel like I'm talking about a client's dog. But I have a lot of skin issues. Um, I have a chronic cough due to inflammation of the upper respiratory system. So my nose is chronically inflamed, which causes my body to want to cough. Um, and for many, many years, doctors kept focusing on my lungs and they're like, what's wrong with your lungs and steroids and upon steroids. Um, and then I also do sometimes have a flare of asthma as a result of, and here it comes. <laughs> But it all stems from allergies. I'm allergic to everything um, environmental, indoor, outdoor. I am truly allergic to dogs. Um, and so a lot of doctors would turn me away and they'd say, I'm sorry, we can't help you. You're allergic to dogs and yet you want to stay in the dog world. And I said, well, there's that's not going away. And I'm allergic to 90,000 other things. So why are you not helping me because of this one? So anyway, a lot of frustration overall but um one of the main things that i have found helped is i paid out of pocket because insurance doesn't want to pay for preventative or proactive uh, laboratory testing but i got a food sensitivity test done and the results were mind-blowing because with food sensitivities and this is true for dogs as well so everything i'm about to say applies to me, but also to, to canines. Food sensitivities aren't something that you can pinpoint or see right away, like you would for um, traditional allergies. And so there is technically a, a difference between an allergy and a sensitivity. An allergy is what people, um, people who have a insect bite allergy or peanut allergy or a shellfish allergy, you know, they eat something and within 30 seconds, they're blowing up in hives and their eyes swell and their throat starts swelling. And that's the danger is you lose the ability to breathe. Um, so, but with sensitivities, sometimes the impact to your body isn't seen until three days later. And so that's really hard for the average person to think back and say, well, you know, 72 hours ago, I had some bread. And so maybe that was it because we eat all of that stuff all the time. So anyway, I got some um, food testing done and it showed that I was allergic to gluten, wheat, dairy eggs and pineapple <laughs> so um you know the major stuff that's as as i find out after getting the testing done that stuff isn't everything absolutely everything and thankfully for people with celiac disease um there's a ton of gluten-free stuff coming out which is really really nice however gluten-free does not mean wheat-free <laughs> and so that you know it's not quite as helpful for me but but going through that process myself was very interesting because then I was able to take that information that I gleaned and, you know, tie it into the dog world and, and try to truly explain to people, you know, the difference between allergies and sensitivities and how might those food sensitivities be impacting your dog and why won't those necessarily show up on the allergy tests that you can get done at the, at the vet. Um, 
and it's just because it's, it's a different part of the immune system. So, um, yeah, so long answer to your question. But, yeah, so my diet really consists of uh, quality meats. So, you know, I wish you looked closer because your cows are really appealing to me. <laughs> well, you know, they um, come, like, they'll be frozen solid as a brick. Our guy is, like, the butcher's about an hour away from from us mm -hmm. so we get it home and he has the whole last time we did it we had the suv so it was the whole back of the suv was just full of bags and bags and bags of frozen like a brick so like i'm sure it can get to your place even without a giant cooler i would just get some ice bags and throw them there and keep the ac cranked because that's not weird like driving down the interstate with a whole trunk full of cow <laughs> that's normal yeah, totally normal <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, meat and veggies, that's, that's my diet. Um, and it's changed a lot of things, you know, it sort of changes your so social life a little bit, but, um, yeah, it, it, it is helped. It is helped. Um, the cough is still there. So I apologize in advance for the coughing episodes, but I apologize for the squeaking Django Gratisoy. <laughs> we're then we're equal. <laughs> we're equal. Right. So, um, so tell me, you were saying, you know, you're a nice carnivore diet. Mm -hmm. Um, now I, we had discussed this a little bit earlier, so I get to share it with everybody. When I went to college, I majored in anthropology and I minored in criminal justice and people would ask, well, what do you want to do? Well, those are the only two things that really interested me enough to like major and minor in them. So I'd look at them, I'd smile and I'd tell them Indiana Jones. Yes. But one of the neat things with the anthropology background that we did is we'd look at um, different skeletons, different animals and people and everything else and look at their teeth and their teeth tells you the diet that they were on. So, uh, and, and I do it with, with the critters that I have here because we have goats and we have the, the cows and we have the chickens. Um, you know, the goats and the cows have, have molars and that's like all they have are molars. They don't have the, the rippy teeth. You know, they have the grindy teeth and they have the grindy teeth because their diet is, you know, vegetables. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So when I talk to my clients about nutrition and it's a huge piece of um, the way that I train is I, I tell people, you know, we're, we're not going to bandaid fix behaviors with me. If your dog jumps, great. We'll fix the jumping. But I always joke with people. I don't know how to directly fix jumping itself because the way I fix jumping is by going all the way back in fixing the relationship you have with your dog, the structure you have with your dog in the house, and the diet that the dog is on. Because the way that I train, if we fix that foundation, all of a sudden, all of these little nasty symptomatic behaviors disappear. So one of those cornerstones for me is nutrition. Um, and one of the very first things I talk about with people is I want to get rid of all the guilt people feel regarding nutrition. And we touched on this a little bit uh, right before you, know, you, you put this live is people feel a lot of guilt when their dog gets some sort of disease or, or allergies or just this chronic problem or an early lifespan, something that, that they didn't expect to happen with their dog. And there's a ton of guilt about, well, what if I could have fed this or this or this or this and, you know, vaccinated for this and all this stuff. And I tell people, you can't feel that way because you didn't know. And it's not your fault. You don't know, because if you even try to find this stuff out and you go on Google, 
for you for trying to do good <laughs> because there's too much out there. There's way too much and, and everybody has a different opinion. And so throughout the years, I've tried to just gather <laughs> tidbits all over, symptomatic coughing, <laughs> sympathetic coughing. Um, I just try to gather information and I say, okay, like let's go back to the start. And the very start is dogs are carnivores. Um, technically, they are called facultative carnivores, which means they are um, within a carnivore. Biologically, they're listed as a carnivore. However, they have the capacity to digest plant material, and they derive benefit from that plant material. Um, there are some people who argue there is no real difference between a facultative carnivore and an omnivore. And I say, sure, you can have that argument. For the principle's sake, I think calling something that is categorized as a carnivore and then skewing them that definition and saying they're omnivore, I just don't like it. So for me, dogs are carnivores and mechanically, there are a lot of reasons that we can look at a dog and know they're a carnivore. And you mentioned one, which is the teeth, the pointy teeth and um, everything about their teeth stru structure is made for ripping and shredding and tearing and cutting. And there's no way around that. Um, there, you would have to be silly to look at your goats and look at a dog and say that they were built to eat the same thing. That's just silly. Um, so there are a few other things that I like pointing out. Uh, the pH of a dog's stomach is very acidic. And the reason for that is because that um, Acidity allows a dog to digest quickly and efficiently meat and bone material. And um, they have a very short GI tract compared to a true omnivore um, or uh, anything that eats a lot of plant material. A dog's GI tract is a lot shorter, and that's just to facilitate moving that raw meat matter through their body, extracting nutrients, and then excreting the remains before any potential pathogenic material can actually get stopped in the body and cause problems. So it's the salmonella and the E. coli that people get worried about when they hear raw meat. Um, that gets pushed through the system, no problem. It's built to get rid of it. It's built to deal with, with that. Um, and then uh, a big difference between a creature who regularly digests a ton of plant material versus a creature who doesn't is the enzymes they have in their saliva. And um, we have uh, salivary amylase, and that is an enzyme that upon contact with a carbohydrate, so you think vegetables, think bread, um, you know, anything that uh, can be easily broken down into glucose by touching that enzyme, that's, that's the purpose of that enzyme, is it immediately starts to break down that material so the body can then turn it into glucose. Dogs do not have amylase in their saliva. And so it takes a long time before that, that matter actually gets broken down into glucose. Not until they hit the pancreas, really, is there any amylase in their system at all. So... Um, a few quick differences that sort of tell us mechanically and biologically the dog is built to handle meat material more than it's built to handle uh, plant material. Um, and 
I try to give people sort of a general uh, telescopic look at nutrition and what to feed your dog. And my general rule, and this applies to humans too, is the fresher the diet, the healthier it is. Like, it would be very difficult to argue that point. <laughs> and so that helps me teach clients how to, right off the bat, which type of food is better. And when we talk about types of food, people are actually surprised that there are options other than kibble and canned, and there are. And so when you look at all of these things, big picture, the way you tell what is better is what is fresher, what is uh, processed the least, and that'll give you a good direction to go in. Um, so other forms of food that you can feed your diet or feed your dog other than kibble, and um, you can feed a dehydrated diet and you can feed a freeze-dried diet. And both of those provide you with something that is easy to store, it's easy to serve, it's usually just a scoop um, of the base material, you add water and you serve, it's a complete meal. But it's only dehydrated or freeze-dried, which means that it's processed once and little to no heat is added in, in making that type of food. Um, and then there's a lot of combinations of some sort of base mix that you add other things too. We talked about uh, Volhard Dog Nutrition and that's uh, the way that they sell their food is it's a complete base um, that you scoop and serve, add water, and then you add a ground protein on top of that. Um, there's a lot of different options there. Um, and then you have commercial raw diets. I mean, these things come in all shapes and sizes. Answers Pet Food itself sells long tubes of food. They're usually called chubs, like chubs of of meat and vegetables and all sorts of stuff in in this uh, shape and you piece it up and they also sell stuff in cartons, they sell patties and, and nuggets and all sorts of stuff to find the perfect combination of uh, fresh and um, convenience is, is what they're trying to do. So lots of other options out there um, and you just have to sort of look at things and say, well, what is the price? What is the convenience factor and how fresh is it? And those are sort of all of the different factors you have to try and balance and find the point at which you want to feed. You know, um, how convenient is it? Because the more convenient it is and the fresher it is, the more expensive it's going to be. Um, and the more convenient it is, but maybe not quite as fresh, the price point will then get pushed down. And so everybody's going to have a different point at which they're willing to sacrifice or not sacrifice and that helps determine what category they're going to be in so um i see a quick i see a question on there i don't know if you want to address that so she <laughs> she said are your taste buds affected by your diet um that you were talking about she says right now she can only um eat certain things mm. so in a positive way i think they're affected i used to hate kale <laughs> And now kale's like a regular part of my diet. Um, I thought it was disgusting. The texture was like like cardboard. I didn't like it. So uh, we kind of joke um, about that a little bit. My husband and I both have sort of revolutionized our diet, and I thank him every day for being willing to do it with me. Um, but 
after eating so many of our homemade salads and vegetables and stuff like that, we went to Panera and I got a salad that I always got from Panera. It was the, um, it's their summer one. It has a lot of fruit in it. It had like pineapples and blueberries and strawberries. Anyway, I ate that and I was like taken aback at how sweet it was because I didn't ever remember it being that way. Um, so I don't think like, mechanically like my taste buds were changed but it's just um the decrease in the amount of sugar we ate day to day changed the way that we remembered food i guess <laughs> so that was that was interesting yeah and people put sugar in everything like i love watching gordon ramsay cooking shows and he's always like you add some sugar to it because it's one of it so i'm like well there's a difference too between adding like a pinch of sugar to something and adding like a cup of sugar to something so oh, there's that. My gosh. And when we look at dog treats, this was years ago. We were still living in Gainesville and we had gone over to Pet Supermarket to find some treats, just, you know, to find some different treats, get out of the house some. And as I'm looking at all the ingredients, every single one of them had sugar in it. And that's what it was like, just like the freeze dried liver stuff. But like everything had sugar. And I'm like, why are we putting sugar in dog treats? Sugar. Yes. Yes, you cannot escape it. And I think it is truly one of the biggest underrated conspiracies of our day. Um, one of the main rules of the way that I eat now is you cannot, you don't want sugar in your diet. Yeah. I challenge you to go to a grocery store and find meat that doesn't have sugar in it. I challenge you to go to the store and I bet you could fit the products that don't have any sugar added into one basket. Like I guarantee you it, it doesn't exist unless you go to Whole Foods. Publix has a pretty good selection, but very limited brands. You would not believe um, people tell me all the time that that they started a ketogenic diet for, you know, such and such reasons and whatnot. Um, and they tell me, I like, oh, what are, what are you eating for breakfast? Oh, well, bacon and avocados. And I'm like, oh, where are you getting your bacon from? Oh, just from Walmart. And I'm like, okay, you know, if you don't know a ketogenic diet, the whole purpose is to decrease your carbohydrates and sugars to the point where your body is, is fueling itself off of ketones, which is from breaking down fats. Whereas a normal diet, everything is broken down into glucose, you know, so Anyway, the whole purpose is to basically not have sugars and glucose in your diet. And yet they're living off of bacon from a traditional grocery store and it's full of sugar. I mean, you, you literally have to become an investigator. You flip anything over, there's sugar added. And after I realized that about myself, I started becoming even more particular about dog food because you are so right. It's in treats. It is in I about lost my mind. I will not throw any brand under the bus because I get really passionate and heated about this stuff. But a dog came to me on a prescription formula, canned prescription formula that was costing these people an arm and a leg. And out of curiosity, I looked at the ingredients and I wish that I could take away that minute of my life because it's caused me so much angst. So this dog had serious GI problems. Uh, for, for multiple different reasons, but it was on a prescription diet and I looked at the ingredients and probably the fourth ingredient, I kid you not, was cane sugar, cane, just sugar, 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 sugar. And I reached out to that company and I said, can you please tell me 
the purpose behind this. And they essentially said it was for palatability and for the texture of the formula. So there was no nutritional, according to the company itself, there was no nutritional requirement for the sugar. It was for texture and palatability, which is a nice way of saying it tastes good to the dogs. And so um, through my own personal search, I just have become very, uh, I don't know, disappointed in a lot of companies that push out dog food just because uh, of that stuff. Yes, sugar feeds cancer. I saw that. That's Right. If you want to shorten the story, like there's there's no way around it. Like it, it absolutely does. Um, a cancer cell itself has so many uh, times more glucose receptors than a normal healthy cell. And so that's why research is is um, looking into and is is starting to show that if you eat a ketogenic diet um, when you have cancer, you can starve those cells because they fuel off glucose. And so if you don't feed the rest of your good cells, with glucose, you can essentially the theory is you can start those cells. So, um, very very good point. Ruth said that. Um, so I want to talk about kibble overall, real quick, big picture. So we talked about well, how do you tell um, a good type of food from a not so good type of food, and sort of balance that convenience. Kibble itself is cooked multiple different times in multiple different stages. And in general, I'm talking big, big general principles here. Um, it's cooked at high temperatures for long periods of time because we've got all these different ingredients in the kibble and we've got to smush it together and send one nice, convenient brown ball, you know. And so that takes a lot of processing and pushing through the extruder machine and high heat and all that stuff. So in general, um, we have to weigh the pros and cons of feeding kibble. It is affordable and it is extremely convenient, and that's why it makes it so common in the average dog household. Like, there's no way around that. Um, but we will sacrifice quality and freshness with kibble, um, and so and it and it's super dry. You know, I want to. We'll talk about that a little bit when we talk about how to supercharge it. But it's it's a very dry product. It's a very processed product, and so we have to consider. How can we fix these negatives? Because by and large, even the clients who I teach this to, they're gonna still feed their dog kibble because of the price point and the convenience, and that's the life we live in. And so that's where I started. Instead of um, sort of preaching about the benefits of feeding anything other than kibble, I started saying, well, how can I make this better for the everyday household? Because there, there are things that we can fix. Um, so real quick, there's no way around it at this point in time to talk about kibble without touching on the DCM issue. Um, so DCM is a huge hot topic right now. You go to any dog forum on social media right now, and somebody is going to be asking some questions somehow related to DCM. So if you've been living under a rock and you have no idea what I'm talking about, Essentially, there's um, a huge study going on uh, with the FDA on <coughs> why are there higher numbers of dogs recently um, being diagnosed with a heart condition that they are genetically not predisposed to getting. Um, so these oh, dogs, 
Let me pause you right here. You you called it DCM. Mm -hmm. What is it? DCM is, I apologize for butchering it for anybody who's smarter than I am, dilated cardiomyopathy, I believe is what it is. And it's essentially a condition where the valves in the heart of a dog are enlarged. And so the heart does not function properly. Um, So there are certain breeds of dogs who are genetically predisposed to get this. And this um, hits close to home because I do and I know you do. We've got golden retrievers and golden retrievers are one of the breeds who are predisposed to getting DCM. And so this isn't like a brand new condition. What's new and interesting about it is dogs who are not predisposed to getting this condition are presenting with DCM. And so what started happening is people started questioning, well, where is this coming from? The big why, why is it happening? Um, And as the FDA started looking into things, um, the FDA stepped in and started looking at things and they said, well, it could potentially be due to food. Um, There's a lot of pretty eye charts out there sort of showing what brands are being implicated. Um, For me, the big thing about DCM is we don't know. (laughs) So um, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, I try to look at a problem and I say, okay, like this might be it. This could be the why. But is there something we can do to avoid the problem altogether? And fortunately, there is. So what's going on with DCM? I think the stuff I've been reading most recently, um, they're saying DCM is primarily caused by the dog not producing enough taurine. So taurine is an amino acid that dogs, it is non-essential. What that means is a dog does have the internal capacity to produce taurine on its own. So if they're eating a good diet, the body is perfectly fine. They can create taurine. The body uses taurine as a building block. Amino acids are building blocks, and the dog will be perfectly fine. Um, The problem is, for whatever reason, the dog didn't have enough taurine in their diet. And so that's where the terminology comes from. Sometimes people will say DCM. Sometimes they'll say the taurine-induced DCM, I think, is how they're they're wording it. It's yeah. So anyway, because there's that sort of is differentiating between did they have this genetically or are they getting this because of diet, diet induced DCM? Maybe that's what they're calling it. I don't know. There's too many headlines for me to keep track of. (coughs) Anyway, the basic idea is there are 